This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, welcome back to the show. Baldry's Beat is next. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Happy Hump Day. Happy Hump Day. Okay, so uh, breaking news at this hour with the uh, the PNE uh, officially canceled now for another summer. Near and dear to your heart. I know you worked down there for many, many summers. Mm-hmm. What was your job down there again? You're like a carny, well, right? I was on the Midway. I ran right. games, various games. Didn't work the rides. Ran the games for 10 years. Ended up running the gambling games at the end, the old-fashioned pre-casino um, <laughs> days. So, yeah. Uh, uh, not not a surprise. Um, how, many t- how many times you run that? You ride that roller coaster again? Oh, probably more than five hundred times. Five hundred times. I think I hold the record. Okay, so you love the PNE. I lo- who doesn't love the PNE? Cancelled again. Not a surprise to you. Not a surprise. These are big crowds there. Um, they had hoping that maybe they could make a go with it with um, smaller crowds, but financially, it just didn't make a lot of sense. What the real tragedy of this? And again, uh, there's no blame here. Well, you can blame COVID nineteen. But uh, it is the biggest employer of youth uh, on a seasonal basis in in, in the province. It's, there's many, many yeah. kids work there. Many uh, university students work there. That pays their tuition. That paid my tuition for, for years. So it's a, it's a big blow to youth uh, employment prospects in the summer. And, and there's some small businesses down there that just oh, rely yeah. on this. Like I remember talking to a guy who runs one of the food trucks down there. He runs a few of them. His family is a family business. Oh, been yeah, around no, for the- like decades. The the you make threatened. you make your money at the P and E because you're working 17 hour days for what, my day 17 days straight. Um, you're just constantly um, interacting with with customers, and the money is significant, uh, yeah. and it puts a lot of uh, dough in people's pockets. And that, that it's almost like a seasonal fishery. You know, all yeah, the right. money's made <laughs> at one time, and yeah. now uh, it's not going to be there, which is, again, unfortunate, but not unexpected. Okay, well, let's listen to Laura Balance here, who was a spokesperson for the PE talking about this this morning with Simi. I think what we're going to do now is shift to doing something that is uh, maybe possible under what we now anticipate the health orders will be. It is important to note that those drive-through events provided some very much needed employment for some of our young workers and some of our staff team members as well as some revenue for, for a very, very hard-hit concessionaires and exhibitors. But they were not financial moneymakers for the P&E entity itself. Okay, so last year they sort of did some drive-through events and stuff. To yeah, Dr. Henry's uh, acknowledged this or suggested this week, we are going to see more activities this summer than last summer. There's going to be events with larger crowds than we saw last summer, but just not the huge crowds associated with major events like the p So I think the p will find it likely easier to have some of these smaller events than they did last summer, which is really they really creative to pull that off, and I think they're going to have a little more latitude. Even though we've seen Premier John Horgan and others say that the goal is to have kind of a normal summer if everyone if mm-hmm. the vaccine targets are hit, but obviously not a completely normal summer. Well, I don't think you're going to have 100,000 people gathering in one spot. Uh, you know, the Peony summer day gets pretty big crowds down there. But again, uh, the emphasis is going to probably be on larger crowds than we had. We had a, we've got a 50-person um, maximum. That's been on the books for some time. 
maybe that gets expanded. Other jurisdictions are expanding the number of people who can gather in one spot after there's mass vaccination. Maybe we'll do that this summer. Let's talk about some of the other breaking news on the vaccines, and that's the uh, the recommendation now for Pfizer can be given to younger younger people. Yeah, to people 12 years and older. A recommendation from Health Canada. I assume wow. BC is going to. Alberta just announced they're going to they're going to drop the age minimum to what uh, is it now? What is 18? 18. So I just looked at the CDC website. We're talking. There's about 527,000 kids between the age of 10 and 19 in BC. So if we drop this to 12, that probably puts another 300,000, 350,000 people eligible to get the vaccine. I, I fully expect BC to follow suit. Yeah, and that includes my son. So I'm I'm very relieved to hear that they're uh, they're doing this, and I'd like to get my kids vaccinated as soon as, as soon as we can. I'm sure a lot of parents well, feel the same way. If if we go down to 12, those people in that age group likely will be in June for their first okay. dose. If you look at the scheduled, and uh, again, we're we're getting a lot of vaccines, and so. Th- the uh, supply of vaccine is not going to be an issue, not anticipated to be an issue. We're expecting to get a lot of vaccine this month and even more next month. So there's going to be enough vaccine to accommodate the 12 years old enough. We continue to see the fallout after this National Advisory Committee on Vaccines recommended that said this week that the, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are the quote-unquote preferred vaccines and saying that people maybe should consider mm-hmm. waiting to get those instead of like an AstraZeneca shot, which continues to mystify me that they said this because it just occurred to me, I was thinking this morning that Basically, they're saying that the better, if you want to wait for the better vaccine, if you're safe, if you're able to shelter at home or you're working at home, you're at low risk, then wait for the better vaccine. If you're high risk, <laughs> like you're a frontline worker or something, maybe you should consider taking the, the first shot that's offered to you, like the AstraZeneca mm-hmm. vaccine. So it's like if you're higher risk, you should take the worst vaccine. Well, this it's, is what they're saying. Not quite that. Well, effectively, not- it is. Well, it's it, it was bad messaging. There's no question. They should yeah. not have differentiated. But it's also completely illogical, isn't it? Like, it's, yeah. it's topsy-turvy. Yeah, and it's also wrong to characterize AstraZeneca as the bad vaccine. It's a perfectly good, Oh, I agree with you. I'm just, vaccine. they're saying the other one's preferred, though. So this I one know. is less preferred. It was, it was a botched uh, attempt at messaging by a group of scientists who obviously aren't communications majors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think it was a, it was very unfortunate. Let's listen to Dr. Burinder Narong here now. He's a Burnaby physician on this issue. The way that NASI has delivered this message is quite concerning for many of us who are working on the front line. I think that introducing even more confusion into the, the game right now can have pretty significant negative consequences. Okay, it really comes down to provincial jurisdiction in, in a lot of ways too, though, because if Bonnie Henry still continuing to tell people take the first shot that's offered to you yeah and the reality is there's no astrazeneca in bc i mean we're almost through our 317,000 doses so for all intents and purposes there's only two vaccines available to you anyways which are the two nasi's talking about which is um pfizer and moderna and there's lots of those coming yeah so those are the only vaccines available in bc in the near future maybe johnson and johnson gets in at some point but that of that 300,000 dose shipment which has been held back BC's shipment was a uh, share of that was only 40,000 doses. So it's it's kind of a moot point at the moment. Okay, I just interviewed Terry Lake, who is the head of the BC Care Providers Association representing long-term care in the province. I know you heard that interview there, and we talked about whether employees, like staff in care homes, whether it should be mandatory for them to receive the vaccine as an order, as a requirement or condition of work in a long-term care home. He says it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've hired a lawyer. They're getting a legal opinion on it. He says Quebec has done that. He thinks BC should do the same thing. He thinks it could end up in a well, legal fight. Your thoughts? Well, it's going to end up in a legal fight, no question. Yeah. Um, you know, the um, tried to have a mandatory uh, uh, vaccine policy for the flu, uh, if you recall, a few years ago, and that was 
uh, switched to an education campaign with, with nurses. But, you know, the reality is COVID-19 has changed everything. So we've never talked about a national pass- vaccine passport before for travel. That now we are. Heard. Now we are. Yeah. Um, now are we going to have mandatory rules for vaccines in not just long-term care home, but in hospitals, in, in all health facilities, or indeed in any workplace? That's certainly going to be part of the conversation. I think people are going to suggest that. Provinces are going to try to implement it. Maybe the national government will. Inevitably, though, you, it, because it involves a workplace, it's going to end up in court. Okay. Uh Donald Trump in the news again. I remember in this thing, we used to talk a lot about Trump back when he was president and the election was on. His name comes up again because he was banned from a lot of the social media platforms, notably uh, Facebook and, and Twitter. He And Twitter. He was really angry about being kicked off of, of both of them, but Facebook was a really important one. The ban, the Trump ban on Facebook has now been upheld by mm-hmm. an appeal and an, an appeal board. So there was a, an oversight board that over that takes a look at these these decisions by Facebook and makes an independent call on it, a binding call. And they have said, we think Trump should continue to be banned. But mm-hmm. maybe they also opened the door to let him back on. But it looks like it looks like the, the Trump ban on Facebook is going to continue. What do you think of that? Well, great. Um, uh, I, think I know you're point. not a fan of Trump, but I mean, does it does it get into like uh, the classic slippery slope when you start saying, okay, this politician's banned, but that one's not? Uh, you're I don't know. To say this Maybe one. I mean, Facebook does ban other people, and so does Twitter. I mean, this has been part of their model since day one. In fact, they've been criticized for not policing more often against extremist and hate uh, comments. And I think a lot of people, I mean, we, we've got laws in in, BC, in Canada that guarantee free speech, but there are limits to free speech, and those are constitutional. It seems to be inconsistently applied, though, because sometimes you can see a lot of controversial stuff on Facebook that's not banned. That's what I mean. They've been criticized for not being more yeah. policing on some of this stuff. And Trump, maybe he singled out. This is a blow to Trump, though. He does rely on social media. For his lot of, a lot of his communication. Especially if he's going to run again for president, yeah, he, which he, he might do. He does an end run around traditional media, and social media has been one of his uh, biggest venues, and he's been denied. Let me play this here for you. This is Mark Meadows, who used to be the chief of staff in the Trump White House, reacting to this continuing ban of Trump on Facebook. Here he is. It's a sad day for America. Hmm. It's a sad day for Facebook because I can tell you a number of members of Congress are now looking at do they break up Facebook? Do they make sure that they don't have a monopoly? And I can tell you that it is two different standards, one for Donald Trump and one for a number of other people that are on their sites and, and suggesting that uh, uh, more nefarious things than what the president has been accused of actually go unnoticed often. And so this is a sad day for america meadows are trump's former chief well, mark, of staff mark zuckerberg's already sort of had to explain himself in front of congress before uh it's interesting his point if this gets the republicans to suddenly start enacting some sort of regulatory yeah, but the democrats are in control of congress though right yeah well, the so. republicans can still make life a little miserable for facebook if they want to really throw Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everything into it. All right, welcome back to the show. Baldry's Beat, Keith Baldry from Global News, and your calls to him, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Lori in Mission, hi. Hi, Mike. Um, hi. hi, Keith. Um, for me, I'm someone, I am health compromised. I have received my first shot. I took AstraZeneca because that's what was available at the time. But when it comes to health and safety of people that are vulnerable, when we witnessed what happened in the first and second wave, I don't understand why that wouldn't be mandatory. Right now you need to have a TB test and pass it before you can work in certain industries because of that possibility. I know I would be terrified if my family said they were putting me in a long-term care home and there was no way of them being able to know that the people that were there were were safe to be around me, you're putting yourself in someone's hands, literally. Right. Yep. And if those hands can't be, because then there, you had a caller who said that one place had herd immunity because he heard from Biden. But in those instances, in those closed contexts with people coming in and going out, you need 100%. Immunity. Yeah, no, thank you. Because thank you for a good call. Uh, I thought you raised some really good points, and especially when you bring it home on a personal level. Like, Keith, you and I both had, we both had parents in long term care. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, when I think of it in that context, if I want to know, like, who's caring for my mother, my, my father, I would want to know, want to uh, be confident that they're as safe as possible. So, I mean, this is going to be an interesting issue to follow here. Yeah, and as Terry Lake actually pointed out, um, we're, it's an elevated risk now. We're not talking about the flu. We're talking about a coronavirus that's much more serious than the flu. So the stakes are higher now, which means I think the conversation is going to change. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when it inevitably gets in front of a judge, as you said. Corey in Surrey. Hi, Corey. Hey, guys. Yeah, just commenting on uh, the ban on Twitter. I mean, I'm totally against those kind of bans. I mean, we all know Trump's an idiot, but, I mean, give me a break. You, you know that when you listen to him or read his stuff. But where's the slippery slope? Where does it stop? Uh, freedom of speech can't, has to be protected because they could come for you next. I mean, they keep the, the leader of China on there and the leader of uh, yeah, yeah. Iran. Come on. Yeah. They're spouting garbage like left, right, and center. I mean, they deny the Uyghur uh, thing going on. Like, there's a standard. Like, you look at it, they think we're idiots. Like, it's vindictive, and we know that they're going after Trump because they just don't like him for some reason. I mean, well, you know, we know the guy was, you know, saying things that weren't necessarily 100%. But, you know, that doesn't change the fact that he has freedom of speech. Thanks just, a lot. For, thank you for the call. I thought you raised some good points, especially when you point out, like, other heads of, of government or, or, you know, like the, 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 head, oh, of, the head of Iran has talked about wiping, out, wiping Israel off the map. It's inconsistently applied a policy, no question. It's uh, Again, maybe it is vindictive against Trump. But you think they were right to kick him off, though? Right, because I, I remember being uncomfortable with that. Like, I, you know, I got no time for Trump either, but I followed him on I'm, Twitter. I'm, he's the president. I'm I want to know what he's saying. I'm concerned about permanent bans. I think you can yeah. have a timeout. A timeout. A well, timeout. that's what this may turn into. Yeah, I think um, that's probably you know, what it will turn into. Okay, and, and he wants back on there, mm-hmm. especially if he's going to run for president again. Sue in Castlegar. Hi. Hey, how are you? 
Good. Well, just about the um, long-term care homes and that, I really think the wellness of our loved ones should always be in the forefront of those facilities, that it becomes a safety issue putting our loved ones in harm's way when the staff doesn't get vaccinated. You know, they were shut down for, what, 15 months, and so many patients got COVID because staff weren't vaccinated. And even when they were, there were some homes in our province that only 30% of the staff were vaccinated and bringing COVID back into those long-term care homes. So I think, you know, not only do we have a right to ask, but those patients in those homes should have a right to ask who's actually helping them out day to day. Sue, so thank you for the call. Well, if, if a court upholds uh, a mandatory vaccine policy in long-term care homes, you can be sure that's going to get extended to other places, including hospitals and other care facilities. Could this be a fight, though, once again, between the government and a public sector union, oh, just yeah. like we saw with, with the, the nurses BC union. Nurses Union, yep. who were opposed to mandatory flu shots for nurses? You could see this government, which is very union-friendly and union-supported, being looking into the into the eyes of, of a public sector union that doesn't want well, these mandatory vaccines. It may be mandatory vaccines in schools. I mean, this is... Well, a, what again, would the BC Teachers Federation say about that? Or, or CUPE. Yeah. Uh, right now, they're calling... They wanted their teachers vaccinated early, so one assumes... <laughs> They'd be supportive, but because it's if it was mandatory and that is a workplace requirement, I'm not sure the units would necessarily be supportive of that. Okay, Keith, thanks for coming in. Talk tomorrow.